0: So let's go ahead and jump into God's Word this morning. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but I, I have really throughout this series made Linda's job much more, more, much more difficult than it needs to be. Um, she has really been struggling to get all my notes into uh, one small piece of paper. In fact, I've had a hard time getting my notes on my normal legal pad. I might have to actually get out the bigger legal pad, which is not a good sign for you guys. But anyway... So I'm very excited to share God's word with you this morning. As we've been kind of going through Philippians, we've we've entitled the series Always Choose Joy. We've looked at basically 1 Thessalonians 5:16 as kind of a, even though it isn't in Philippians, it was obviously written both were written by Paul, and Paul encourages us both in Philippians and in 1 Thessalonians to always be joyful. And so we realize that in this series, as Paul has, has written this letter from literally house arrest, like he cannot go and do what he wants, uh, but yet this letter constantly kind of goes back to this idea of joy and rejoicing. And, and, and no matter if, if the situation is good or the situation is poor, That basically we are to be a people that rejoice. Um, And basically we've looked at that and understood as we've gone through that, that that is not something that that just happens. It is a choice that we have to make. And we've always talked about it. So uh, once again, we need to remember that the feeling of joy is an emotion, but the foundation of joy starts with a choice. And you choose joy by choosing Jesus. I have I, had several of you, and I'm just going to say this really quickly because there's a lot that I want to get to this morning, and I really don't want to be having lunch at three. Um, we might, but I'm just trying to tell you that, you know, so, so buckle up. Um, but I've had several of you literally come up to me over the last several weeks of this series and really express to me that um, how you have really applied this series in your life. Um, you've come to me and said, you know, there were times where, you know, something happened and it wasn't, I wasn't really wanting to be joyful about it, but, but I remembered what Paul has communicated to us and I remember the things that you've taught and I just said, you know what, I'm going to choose to be joyful. And, and when you have done that, God's word is true and God's word doesn't come back void and you've experienced that in your life. And I, I tell you what, you know, that means so much to me to hear that. It is such an encouragement to me. To hear you share those things. And so, thank you so much. I'm glad that um, this has been a, a, a series that you have really been able to, to apply to your life. And so I want to encourage you, you know, we are just now, I know this might scare you a little bit, we're just halfway done. We're starting Philippians 3. So, we still have several weeks to really allow this to be not just something that we teach and then forget. But more something that we really apply to our lives until we are taken home to be with the Lord. So this morning we're gonna start in our text, we're gonna look at Philippians 3. Our next section is a meaty one. It's an important one. It it really begins, obviously, with Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11. So as we have done, we're going to read every verse or every word in Philippians. So if you have your Bibles or phones, whatever you prefer, let's open them up. Philippians 3, starting with verse number 1, and we'll read through verse number 11. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and and is safe for you. Look out for dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I have myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Father, as we enter into these things, Father, there's a lot here. And God, I just pray that you would help me to bring clarity. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just give us clarity of thought and understand the things that you desire for us to hear and know this morning. Father, I pray that you would just help us as we begin to dive into these verses, that God, that my words would cease and that yours would begin because your words change lives. Your words are what, what, what makes the impact and the difference. And so that's what we desire. That's what we need. We love you and we thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Okay. So there's a lot here. There's a lot that we're going to talk about this morning, but really before we get into some of these verses, now I know some of these are verses that you've heard before, they're very popular verses, but what, one thing that we come sometimes mess up on, and one of the reasons why I really like doing what we're doing over the last several weeks and a few more, is we really have an opportunity to look at everything that Paul is writing here. A lot of times we, you've heard, you know, Paul, when he talks about loss and gain and knowing Christ and all those things, and listen, we'll get to those. But we need to understand the context of what Paul has written and what Paul and why Paul is writing all these things now. Okay? Because if we don't understand those things, we lose some of the power that Paul is trying to get us to understand basically throughout the letter. So we've just started Philippians 3. Paul has has shared many, many things with us. We're basically halfway through the letter. Paul begins this section with this idea of, of finally. Now finally here is not is, is not Paul wrapping up the letter. Okay, Paul is beginning to transition slightly from some of the things that we have been talking about now to something different. So this idea finally is not, I'm now concluding or I'm bringing this all to a close. It's now basically, you know, basically a transition. Some scriptures will say, or some translations will say, therefore, or other types of words, depending on the translation you use. But Paul begins to shift slightly. And he kind of, once again, as he kind of gets into verse number one, he does kind of bring back that idea of rejoicing and all these things which we've heard about, talked about, quite a bit in verse two he basically talks about this idea or at the end of verse one he kind of says you know what i'm gonna kind of share some things with you again so what we believe is probably paul as he planted this church in philippi had already had these discussions with the people there So he is once again kind of bringing these things up. Obviously, anytime you see repetition in scripture or even knowing that repetition probably happened before scripture and then in scripture, it's an important thing. And so Paul is basically saying, listen, the things that I'm now transitioning to, you heard before, but it's important that you understand them now. It's also important that you let these things not be forgotten, not be something that kind of goes off and kind of, well, let's move on to something else. He kind of want to bring these things back to the forefront of the Philippians' minds so that they can have them and remember them in this letter. So he kind of starts with that. Listen, this is no problem for me. I'm happy to bring these things back up because they're important. And then starting with verse number two, all of a sudden it's like a completely different person starts writing the book, even though it's, or the letter, even though it's the same person. And he starts using these very strong words here. He uses words like dogs and evildoers, and he goes one step further and says, those who mutilate the flesh. Now what in the world is Paul talking about here? It's real simple, but we need to understand it. Because if we don't understand what Paul's talking about, then the verses that we know really well, we're going to miss a little bit of why Paul is writing them when he's writing them. Okay, So what Paul is doing here, these people that he's talking about, these evildoers, these mutilators of the flesh, these, these dogs are basically, and this is going to sound kind of harsh, but these are actually Christians. He's actually speaking to people that in this time there was a big debate and a big problem. And they fought about this pretty much throughout the New Testament church era, was this idea that to become a Christian, you had to first become Jewish, okay? Now, to become Jewish in the time, and basically even before in the Old Testament, one of the ways, a sign of that was through circumcision, okay? It was a a showing of an outward uh, expression, basically, of the promise of God, and so what these Christians were doing is they were basically going to these Gentiles, who were the Philippines, or Philippines, Philippians were, excuse me, and saying, listen, we're so glad that you have have found Jesus, that's great, but to really know Jesus, to really have a relationship with him, to really go to heaven, if that'll make sense, you also have to be circumcised. And this was something that Paul fought against, I mean, he was totally against this. And so he takes these, these steps to have these conversations with these individuals going, listen, I need to talk about this again. You need to understand here what is being said. Now, here's what's interesting about this whole thing, okay? I think we're all adults. I think we understand this, okay? When it comes to circumcision, there's only half of the population that can really do that. So this isn't necessarily to Paul or to those individuals simply about this outward expression, even though it's a part of it. What he is really concerned about... What he is really against is something that we should also be against, but yet something that oftentimes can slip into our churches and slip into our lives. What these men were saying was basically this. To get God's favor, to get God's salvation, there has to be a work that is involved first. You have to do something before God will do something. And Paul was totally against that for obvious reasons. Because Paul believed in this idea of grace. This idea of unmerited favor. And so here's what's interesting. These individuals, I don't really believe, you know, when Paul uses some strong language here, I don't believe these individuals were trying to, they didn't wake up in the morning and rub their hands together and say, how can we destroy people? How can we make them focus more on works than on grace? I think they really meant this. I think they really believed this and were trying to help. And I'll tell you what, sometimes in my life, I don't know about yours, but sometimes the things that seem so helpful can also be very, very dangerous when they're taken out and they're not used and they're not not based on God's word. And so Paul looks at this and goes, listen, you need to understand this. You need to understand that what we're talking about, what I'm talking about, what Jesus came to do is not based under the law, but it is now based under grace. We took communion this morning. And one of the things that, that we talk about usually when we took communion is the idea of old covenant and new covenant. Jesus came to establish a new covenant. A new promise. The old covenant had its time. But when Jesus died and is buried and resurrection, the new covenant came and begun. That, that, that covenant that comes from Grace. And Paul here is going, listen, I am not going to let you, Philippians, take a step backwards into bondage. And I'm not going to let you step back into this idea that you have to do certain things to get God's favor or his salvation or his love. Now, hear, hear me. Paul has, says this a lot, okay? So I'm just going to say this now. That doesn't mean we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. Okay? I can, I can, we're not going to do it. we got too much, We got too much to get through. But I can give you scripture after scripture after scripture that does not compute with Paul. What Paul is saying here is like if you want to accept Jesus, if you want him in your life, if you want salvation, you come as you are and let God do the rest. And when he does that and he changes you in that moment of regeneration, that moment where you are born again, now the sanctification process can begin. But that sanctification process is not about an outward. It's much more about an inward And when the inward is changed, the outward will change. And so he starts this whole thing with basically saying, listen, you need to be aware of these individuals who are trying to make you understand or think that to be saved, you have to be a person of works. You have to do something to get God's attention. And so this is the context that Paul basically learns to count for us in the Scripture. So Paul, knowing that, understanding that, basically says, listen, if you want to count, let's count. If you want to play that game with works and under the law, I'll count with you. And basically he says, listen, if anybody that can count, it's me. So look at him. Here he begins to count. So first things, Paul begins to count some things, four things that are in his possession by birth. Now understand this. These things are by birth, These are nothing Paul did. Paul did not choose these things, meaning you can't either. These are just things that Paul happened to be born into, but he begins to bring these up as basically, listen, if you want to count, I'll count. And so he starts with this idea that he was circumcised on the eighth day. We find that in Leviticus 12.3, that that was a commandment of God, that basically when a baby was born, a male child, that he would be circumcised on the eighth day. He says that he was a part of the people of Israel. What that basically means is he basically is claiming the promise that God had given all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, okay? So he's basically claiming, listen, I was circumcised on the eighth day, I followed that law, or my parents did, and I was born into God's family, into God's people. Next, he says he's in the part of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, the tribe of Benjamin was a pretty important tribe. We, we see basically a couple things that, are, that show that to be important. Obviously, the first king of Israel, Saul, was a Benjaminite. We also know that when, when the... the um, the country of Israel broke into two that Benjamin basically went with Judah and stayed faithful to God. We see that in the Old Testament. We also know that in the territory that the, the tribe of Benjamin got, that's where Jerusalem was. So this to be in a tribe of Benjamin was a, was a big deal. But also Paul goes one step further and he says, and he calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, what is Paul saying here? I mean, didn't he just cover that with Benjamin and, and Israel and all that sort of stuff? He's actually taking another step here. What Paul is saying is this. During this time, one of the trends that were happening in the Jewish culture and the Jewish mindset was they were becoming, in a lot of ways, less Jewish and trying to be more Greek. Okay, they were basically, they were actually called Hellenistic Jews. They would learn Greek. They, they didn't want to learn uh, Hebrew. They, they didn't want to necessarily do the customs that were there. They kind of looked at each other and they were kind of at battle in, in you know, kind of didn't like each other, you know, very much. It's, it's kind of, I know this is a horrible way to put it, but it's kind of a, a good way to understand it. I remember several years ago, I don't think it's such a big deal now, but I remember when I was a kid, there was a big battle in the church. Are we going to sing out of the hymn book? Are we going to sing what, which, which my grandparents called off the wall, Remember that? Remember the battle, the worship battles of that? And basically there was the one camp over here, and it's like, no, if it doesn't come out of this book and it wasn't written in 1850 or earlier, it's not anointed. And over here these people said, no, if it's written out of the book and not written, you know, from 1970 on, it's not anointed, and you're dumb, and you're dumb, and you don't know, and you don't know. Kind of like that. Sad, but true. And basically what Paul is saying here is like, listen, I did not waver. I stayed true to the Jewish culture, to the Jewish language. I was a Hebrew among Hebrews. Okay? So all of these things, to an extent, are things that wouldn't have happened if Paul had not been born into them. So in, the thing about that, when you think about it, like, I don't know about you, I, I, that, I don't fall into any of those categories. So Paul starts there, and he goes, basically, I'm just going to take... Most of the population, and just say, eh, you lose because you weren't born to this. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop counting with those four things. Then Paul counts three things that are in his possession because of achievement. So look here with me. He continues on. He says, concerning the law, he was a Pharisee. Now, here's the deal. We understand as Christians, you know, we know a lot about Pharisees because of the, the fighting with Jesus and things like that. But you need to understand something. These Pharisees, were an elite unit. They were an elite sect. I mean, here's the deal. If you lived at that time, you may walk past a Pharisee and go, you know what, that guy's a big old jerk. But you know what you would say as well? He was sold out to God. Like, they had a a devotion to God's word, like, bordering on obsessive compulsive. I mean, and Jesus even mentions that to them. He says, you know, you tithe out of your mint gardens, But yet, you don't follow God. So these guys, when when Paul calls himself a Pharisee, I mean, we look at that as kind of a negative. At that time, that was the elite of the elite, scripturally, and, and, and as far as the Jewish sect. So he calls himself a Pharisee. Next, he goes one step further. He says, concerning zeal, he persecuted the church. Now, why does Paul bring this up? It's simple. The Pharisees were typically intellectuals. Paul is going. Listen. Not only was I an intellectual, but I took that and I was also a man of action. Remember when Saul becomes Paul? Where's Saul headed? He's off to persecute the church. He's off to put them in prison. He's off to kill them if necessary. He's saying, "Listen. Not only was I a guy that was reading and all, had my nose in the books. I also had my hand on a sword." He's like, "I was that zealous." for God. that Like, man, if you are a blasphemer, if you were doing something that I didn't think was right or followed God's word, man, if you died, no problem with me. So he calls himself in that way. And then finally, he says, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now that sounds pretty strong, doesn't it? But here's the deal. You remember the story of the rich young ruler in Luke 18? Jesus and this guy come, and they have this discussion. He comes to Jesus, and he says, basically, you know, how how can I get saved and and things like that? Or how can I have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know, you follow the law, basically. I'm paraphrasing. And the man says, well, I've done all those things since my youth. He basically, in some ways, depending on the translation you read and kind of how it's worded, he basically says, I'm blameless. Now, most of us will read that and go, no, you're not. And we agree, he's not. But at that time, you have to understand what the Jewish mindset was and what was taught and how they, ins- how they interpreted the scriptures. They literally believed that if you did it all right long enough, and lo- you know, that you were, quote-unquote, blameless. So when that guy responded to Jesus in that way, like he thought that was possible and that he had attained it. So Paul, in his response, says, listen, when it came to the righteousness in the law, that was me. I always did what was right. So Paul here begins this counting. He begins to put it all out on the table and begins to kind of of get out his ledger sheet. You know, not, not Excel, sorry Tammy, but a ledger sheet. I didn't have Excel back then. And he begins to write these things out. You want to count? Let's count. Let's look at all these things. And he's writing it not only to an extent to the people in Philippi, but to these people as well who are sitting there going, listen, you got to do these, all these things to earn it, to gain it. And he's like, listen, he's basically saying, listen, if anyone could lay claim to pleasing God by law-keeping and the works of the flesh, it was Paul. That's basically what he's saying. He's saying, you want to count? Let's count. But Paul also has an interesting spiritual arithmetic that we need to look at because now he's counted it all he's put it all out but now he begins to actually put the numbers together and begin to see how things work and now we're going to kind of get into a little bit more again of some scripture that we've seen before so Philippians 3 7 and 8 this is what he says he says but whatever gain I had I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Paul is really about all this, okay? And we need to understand a little bit more why. Because it's easy to go yes yes we're people of grace and and we need to you know we, we took communion we played amazing grace we didn't say amazing works right but sometimes it's so easy for us to fall into this trap if i just do this then god will do this and paul is so much against this and wants us to be so much against it because here's the thing the things that paul mentions here are not necessarily harmful okay there's nothing wrong with being jewish there's nothing wrong with being a Benjaminite. There's nothing wrong with having a, being a Pharisee. We know in Scripture that some of the Pharisees accepted Jesus. But what's the problem? Why is Paul so much against these things? And here's the thing. They, they weren't counted as loss, not because they were so harmful to Paul, but because they were things that, that were in ways, they, these things were, were ways in which Paul sought to please God in the energies of the flesh. Okay? So Paul is counting these things as lost, not because he's ashamed, not because he's going, oh boy, I can't believe I happen to be born Jewish. But he's sitting there basically in a lot of ways saying these things did not help me come to know Jesus. In fact, in some ways, they prevented me from getting closer to Jesus. He's counting these things as loss, not because they're bad. Like so many of us, we can look at these things, oh boy, those are horrible, terrible things. No, no, it's good to be almost like a Pharisee in the way that says we have a a extremely um, reverent understanding of God's word. That's great, we need that, we need to know God's word. But when we allow those things to keep us from Jesus, that's a problem. And you go, oh Aaron, that would never happen to me. Yeah, sometimes it does, I know it happens to me. Sometimes we can get so busy with the work that we forget to embrace the grace. We can work so hard in allowing our lives to produce fruit, which again, is great things, that we forget sometimes that, you know what, right now I'm being a Mary and I need to just be a Martha and just sit at Jesus' feet for a while. It's interesting that in that story, Jesus doesn't look at Martha and Mary and go, you know, well, you got it mixed up. He says, Mary has chosen the better thing. And here's what happens. Here's what we need to understand about that. And I really believe this. If you want to be a servant for Jesus, it starts at Jesus' feet. It doesn't start in the kitchen. And too many pastors and too many people get that mixed up. And they say, get busy, get busy for Jesus. Go to the kitchen, be in the kitchen. I need you in the kitchen. No, I need you at Jesus's feet. Because when you're at Jesus's feet, it is amazing how easy it is to then transition to the kitchen when it's time. But here's the thing. Listen, if you ever get into a position in your spiritual walk where it's more exhilarating and more exciting and more amazing and more awesome, To be in the kitchen than at Jesus' feet, you have a problem that you need to get fixed. Jesus needs to help you rearrange some things. Does that mean you shouldn't be in the kitchen? Nope, you need to be in the kitchen. But we need to start at Jesus' feet. And Paul is sitting here, listen, all those things that I were busy in the kitchen. Oh, I can please God here. I can please God this way. I can do it this way. Basically, he said, all those times in the kitchen kept me from the feet of Jesus. And that's why he counts it as loss. That's why he looks at it. But here's the thing. He goes one step further. He says, it's interesting, in verse 7 and 8, it's almost like he repeats himself a little bit. He says, I counted his loss. I counted his loss in both these scriptures. But listen, that's not what he's saying here. We need to catch this. Look at, with if you have your scripture open, underline these words or highlight them. In verse number 7, look at the word counted and underline it. In verse number 8, I want you to underline the word count he uses two words here as he's writing this letter and i love this because it's like as you can just see paul he's writing all these things out he basically in verse seven says when i counted meaning past tense i believe what paul is communicating to us is hey when i started when i gave my life over to god i lost it all in that moment i counted it all lost for what I would gain in Jesus. It was when he got converted. It was on that road to Damascus and into Damascus where Paul began to say, you know what? I accept this. I allowed Jesus to come and to change my life. It was that moment when he was saved and regeneration. That's what we see in verse number seven. We see, you know, back then I gave it all away for Jesus. But then he keeps going. His arithmetic continues. It's like he continues down the ledger. And he says in verse 8, he says, I count it lost now too. Paul's lost it all. Now he's chained to a guard. Listen, we know, we talked about this before. We know he gets out of this Roman prison. But he doesn't know that yet. He's going, I have lost it Look, the first counting was at his conversion. The second, some 30 years later, was in his Roman prison. After all he had experienced, he still counted it worthy to give up everything for the sake of following Jesus. Listen, sometimes we need to do this. We need to kind of pull out, spiritually speaking, our, our, our counting books. And we need to look back and go, yeah, I remember I remember when I gave it all to Jesus. Maybe for some of you that was really, really young. Maybe it wasn't for us. It doesn't matter when it happened. But you look back and you go, you know what? In that moment, everything else I count as lost to gain Christ. And that's a beautiful thought. And that's a beautiful thing to remember. But also some of us need to pull up a more recent accounting book. And go, you know what? still worth it it's worth it then it's worth it now and and in a lot of ways it should be worth it more today than then because you've seen God's faithfulness through that time and it's so important Paul sitting here going listen I was glad to give it up then I count it lost in that moment and I count it lost today Because he's just getting better and sweeter. And then look, in Philippians 3, uh, 9, he continues on kind of with that thought. He says, and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on What Paul basically is saying here in verse 9 is he's basically saying, listen, I can do this. I can can count all that loss because of what Jesus has done. Because I have now said, you know what, I'm placing my faith in him. Because Paul was in him, he could renounce his own righteousness and live by the righteousness which is from God by faith. The foundation for his spiritual life was in what Jesus had done for him And not in what he had done, was doing, or would do for Jesus in the future. Listen, if you're having a hard time letting go of your counting, this might be why. There may be something in your life where you're going, you know what, I I still have to do some things. And here's what also I've found. We can also allow the negative side of that coin flip to also keep us from Jesus. Not only have the things that I have not done keep us from Jesus. I haven't been this or haven't, but the things we have done that can cause so much problems. I have done these things. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. He said, "My, my foundation is on what Jesus did for me, not what I do for him. I do what I do for him because of what he has done for me. Not to gain it. Do you understand? And it's so important. So as Paul has kind of put all these things out on his sheet, he's writing them down, he's saying this or that. We finally look at this as he kind of brings this section to a close. He basically ends it by adding up the joy of knowing Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. How, how can you say that you know someone? How, how can you do that? Like, like what does that how does that look you know when you say you know somebody how does that work you know like we we say all the time well i know that person or that person knows me how do you ever think about that i know that's a weird way to put at it or look at it but i think it's important that we look at this so so i think there's some steps here that we need to look at because paul here is saying i want to know christ Well, what does that mean you know we heard it all the time we see it on bumper stickers we see it on shirts what is paul trying to get at here because there are levels of knowing that some of us need to understand because if we don't understand the levels we may not understand honestly where we are at as far as we are at knowing Jesus so how can we do that what what can we say we we know somebody we say that we basically we're saying that we number one we recognize them okay okay that's usually the first step I recognize that individual okay how do you know them I recognize them I can pick them out uh you know you bring 100 people in and I can say yep that's that person I know that person I recognize them the second way is because we are acquainted with what they do. We're acquainted with what they do. Now, here's the deal. As, you, if you, as we go through these, all of these things are things that we can know about Jesus, okay? And should, to an extent, as well. But, but we're going to kind of build on this together. So we are acquainted with what they do. So let me, let me, let me help you out with this. Let's say that um, you, uh, let's say you go to a restaurant, okay? You go to a restaurant, maybe it's it's a place you go once a week, or maybe several times a week, and there's a waiter or a waitress there, okay? And you've gone there so much, and they're always, maybe their shift is when you always go to this restaurant, okay? So you have been there enough where now you recognize them, okay? But now you've taken it one step further. You not only recognize them, you are acquainted with what they do. You know that they are a waitress or a waiter, okay? So not only do you know them by face, by seeing, but now by what they do. Maybe you know, hey, you know, they're, they're a really good waiter, but they, they kind of forget that I like cream with my coffee or something like that. You begin to know them a little bit better. The next is you actually begin to converse with them. You begin to have a conversation, okay? You begin to have, you know, tell me about yourself. You know, why, You know, where are, you, are you doing this? Tell me about your family and all these sort of things, okay? So conversing is kind of that next step. Now, this may be weird going with the, the waiter-waitress illustration, but just go with it. The next is you spend time in their house and with their family, okay? So the waiter-waitress says, listen, hey, listen, we're having a big get together at my house tomorrow night, you know, since we're kind of buddies now, you know, since you tip well, you know, why don't you come over? And we'll have, we'll have you know, dinner. So you, you go over there and, and you meet maybe their mom or dad or husband or wife or their kids or something like that. And you begin to, to know them in that way. But there's, there's another step that goes one step further. And basically, we can say that we know someone because we have committed our life to them and live with them every day, sharing every circumstances as in a marriage. Okay? So here's the deal. Okay, you're, you're over at their house, you know, you you, you maybe this is a, a waiter, and the waiter introduces you to his wife, you know, and then he goes off and does something, and you say, Boy, you know, your your, your husband is such a, such a joyful guy. <laughs> you know, he's always happy, you know, when he's serving all this, and, and you know what the wife does? The wife goes, Well, you know. He's happy, but you know, he there's times where. You can get a little, little ornery, you know. Well, how does she know that? She's married to him. She's experienced all those things. So all of these are steps as far as, you know, as we get to know this. Yet, beyond all this, there is a way of knowing Jesus that includes all of these, yet goes beyond them. When Paul says that he may know him, he wants to know him in everything, on every level, and in every aspect. Paul here is like, we usually talk here about, um, Jesus talks about, we see a lot in scripture of this idea of bride, husband, marriage type of relationship. Why do we see that so often? Because it's, it's usually for us as human beings, the easiest thing we can understand of the relationship that God wants to have with us. Paul here is saying, you know what, I want to know him even better than that. He says, I want to know him in a deeper way, in a more powerful way, in a more important way. And so Paul, after he's shared these ideas, we see him kind of wrapping up our section, starting with verse number 10. He says that I may know him. And then he goes further. He says, and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. As we close this morning, I want to look here that I believe Paul has basically given us some ways that we should know Jesus. That Paul wants to know Jesus that's even deeper than just a simple idea of a marriage uh, situation, but even deeper than that. So let's look at these together. We're going to break these down in Philippians 10. It says, knowing Jesus, first of all, to Paul was a personal thing. He says, that I, it's got to start there. It cannot be second-hand knowledge. It cannot be something that you simply look at and read in a book. It has to be something more personal than that. And that's what Paul says here. He says, listen, I'm not, it's not good enough to know him secondhand. It's not good enough to know him because my parents or my grandparents or my wife or my husband know him. I want to know him. I have to know him. I will never be satisfied with what I know of him because I desire more and more. Next, Paul moves on. Knowing Jesus was powerful. He mentions the power of his resurrection. And this is big. Because Paul here is saying, listen, I don't just want to know him personally. I want to experience the power that literally brought him back from the dead. I want my life because I've experienced him. And I have him in my life for my life to have that type of power. To have that type of authority. To be able to say, you know what? I am going to stand in the power of a risen savior because I know him. I know him. I've experienced that. Not only have I experienced the powerfulness of his resurrection in his life, but I've experienced it in mine. Because Christ lives, I can face tomorrow. He wanted that power to be a part of his life. And listen, I'll take that power all day, every day. And I wish I wish, I wish, I wish that Paul had gone, period. But he didn't. He kept going because knowing Jesus was going to be painful as well. He said, and share in his sufferings. You see, I find a lot of people, myself included, who, man, we want the power of the resurrection, but we don't want to share in the suffering. To experience the power of the resurrection, there has to be sharing in the suffering. Why? Because you can't, Die without suffering, you can't raise without death. You get it? And so many of us, we go, you know what, Jesus? I want to experience the power of a resurrection. Woohoo! And Jesus says, "Okay, what's going to have to die to be raised?" Wait a minute. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. Oh, oh, y- yes, it is. In fact, it's interesting because even in this letter in Philippians 1:29, look what Paul writes. We got. Philippians 1.29, there it is. It says, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ. That's that power, kind of. But also the privilege of suffering for him. And Paul goes, you know what? If I'm going to know him, I'm going to also know suffering. That's not fun. That's not something we sign up for, is it? You know, if I put a sign-up sheet out on the foyer... I have one sign-up sheet. You know, all those that are in favor, you know, that want to experience the power of the resurrection, sign up. And then on the other, she has that everyone who wants to, want to experience the, the, the suffering, sign up. I got a feeling I know which would have a little bit more names on it. I know where my name would go. But Paul says, listen, if we're going to know him, we're also going to have to come to know him in his suffering and his sorrow. I know that's not easy. And I know that a lot of times... We want to skip over that, but hear me here. There is some part of Jesus that we will only know when we come alongside him in his suffering. Listen. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was mocked and laughed at. And yet he still died for those people. There's something about experiencing that suffering that teaches us how to love like Jesus that can't happen any other way. And I wish it could. There's something about forgiveness that can only be experienced when we say, you know what, that really hurt, but yet I choose to forgive because Jesus does that for us every single day. It shows us and teaches us who Jesus is and how we can be like him. Is that hard? Yes, it's hard, but there is no purpose. There's no pain without purpose, and so even though there's moments of suffering, we need to understand that it'll teach us more about who he is. The final thing, knowing Jesus to Paul was practical, becoming like him in his death. Now, what do you mean here? Remember back Earlier in the book, in a scripture that many of us know, many of us have have read many, many times, where Jesus basically empties himself out and, and he becomes obedient even to the point of death. Remember the context of what Paul has just written just several, maybe a page before? As he now brings this idea of knowing him, being willing to become like him unto his death, he's saying that I will be obedient to that point that if I have to lay down my life to know him I'll do it see a lot of us will, will come at things and we'll go you know what if I if I do this super super spiritual thing then I can know Jesus if I if I if I if I, if I do this or that you know and listen and I'm not saying those things are necessarily bad but you know where a lot of times it starts is just being obedient to what God's asked us to do To know him in obedience is a great way to know him. And it's very practical. We can all be obedient. And so Paul says, I want to know him in a personal way. I want to know him in a powerful way. I want to know him in a painful way. I want to know him in a practical way. He probably could have gone on and on and on. But he stops and basically just says, listen, where I'm at right now is the goal of knowing Jesus is worth any means to Paul. The suffering and the loss was worth it considering the greatness of the goal of the resurrection of the dead. Paul, when he finally lets it all, puts it all, he's done all the numbers. He's added everything up, everything he's lost, everything he's given up, all those things. And the final tally comes forth through his counting and his arithmetic and his adding and his subtracting and all those things, he goes, you know what? I'll give it all for him. Any means possible. I'll give it all up just to have him. There's a story that Jesus tells in the New Testament. We call it the story of the pearl of great price. And in this story, we have a man who basically... Loves pearls. An interesting story. And so he loves pearls. He searches for pearls. And one day, basically, I'm paraphrasing, he finds this perfect pearl. Pearl, The best pearl ever. And Jesus, in his parable, says that the man sells everything he owns. Everything to buy the pearl. Now, you would think at that moment, you're going, like, seriously? Like, what are you going to eat, dude? Like, like, you got a pearl now, but you, you, you want the pearl. What are you going to do? Like, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And you would think the guy would go, at some point, go, whoops. Um, maybe I got a little excited. You know, I get, I get pearls on the brain, and I, I got in trouble, and now I'm going to starve to death. That's not what the Scripture says. Scripture says that the man is Delighted. Delighted. He gave it all away just for the pearl. Because to him, the pearl was worth everything. You know, Paul is basically saying, you can take my heritage, you can take my achievements, you can take my works, you can take all these things that quite honestly, most Jewish men at the time would have given their right arm for. He said, you can give it all. I want my pearl. And his pearl was Jesus. You know, in our lives today, we usually have some things in our hearts and our lives that that show that we're not really willing to sell everything for the pearl. We count some things as loss, but not all things as loss. Some things we want to hold on to. Some things we want to grasp a hold of and say, you know what, Jesus, I want this in you. But Jesus says, you know what? There's a pearl of great price, but it'll cost you everything. Will you lay everything down for the pearl? The question that we have to ask is what have you achieved that you need to count as loss compared to knowing Jesus? And here's the deal. Here's the thing that I have experienced in my life. Not secondhand, even though I could share hundreds of secondhand stories. I will only share what has happened in my heart and in my life. Many years ago, I, like Paul, said, you know what? I'm going to lay down my dreams. I'm going to lay down what Aaron wants. I'm going to lay down the things Aaron wants to do. I'm going to lay down the things that quote unquote make Aaron different or special. And I'm going to set them all aside. And I'm going to accept the love, forgiveness, and grace of Jesus. And all those things I counted as loss just to serve him. Did I really truly understand all that I was giving up when I was eight years old? Nope. I'll be honest, nope, but I understood this. I understood I needed Jesus. And here's the deal. As I've gotten older, and I've gotten older, and I come and I put my my PETA paper down, and I begin to add up again, I can say unequivocally, I can still count it as loss to the honor Of knowing Jesus. Here's the thing about the story of the pearl that is different than the story of Jesus. When we accept him, he gives it all back. Everything I have lost, I can easily count as loss because of all the things that I have gained through him. And he's not over yet. We're not done yet. There's still more. And we don't do what we do. We don't lay it down for the more. We lay it down for the pearl of great price. We lay it down for Jesus. But Jesus in His love and His grace and His mercy looks at us and says, Oh my goodness, eye has not seen nor ear has heard what I have prepared for those that love me. The Aaron Nash version, you can't even dream it up what God has for us. And it is only just begun. But for some of us, we sit there with our balance sheet and we go, you know, I don't know if I counted all as loss. Paul is wanting us to know, you know what, all the things that you're holding on to, all the works that you're looking at and saying, you know, God is so impressed and so pleased with me because of A, B, C, and D. Paul is showing us and giving us the example that, you know what, It's time to put all that in the lost column so that we can have Jesus, to know him in every way and everything. Let's bow our heads, let's close. Father, we come to you right now. And and Jesus, there's a lot here, I know that. And Father, I thank you that you have been with us this morning. And God, I pray that as we've shared these things, That, God, that there would be one thing for at least everyone, maybe more, but at least one, where every individual can walk out and go, you know what, Father? I needed that. I needed to to write it all out again. I need to count it all as lost again. I need to stop trying to please you, Father, by what I'm doing or who I am, and, and instead count those things as loss for you. Count them as loss. In fact, in our scripture, we even see Paul call it rubbish. We're not going to get into it too much, but just so you know, in the ancient Greek, that word is basically dung. Paul looks at all his stuff and basically says it's a manure pile. He says it's all loss to know Jesus. We want to be a people who count it all loss because of what we have in him. To know him. To not let anything keep us from experiencing him. To embrace his grace and his goodness and his love. So Jesus, we come to you as a family. And God, there's a lot here. It's it's very difficult, honestly, to, okay, we want to focus on this area or this. And so, God, I'm just going to allow you to just speak to hearts. God, whatever needs to be looked at, that, God, you would bring that to the hearts of those that are open to the Holy Spirit illuminating those things in our hearts and our lives. That, Father, in this moment, we would desire you to show us areas, maybe, maybe things we're not counting as loss. Maybe areas where we just simply need to allow you, God, to, to kind of give us an inventory. To show us and remind us once again of your goodness. To say that, that we can walk out of this place and go, you know what? I counted 30 years ago and I counted today. And you know what? I still, I still gained. I still gained. I gave it all up for him, and I still gained. I did that then, and I did it today. For some of us, it may be that we're holding on to things, and those things are really keeping us from knowing Christ the way that we should. God, whatever it is, God, I pray pray that you would just begin to speak to hearts right now. You begin to reveal to us right now those things. And Father, as I pray over our family, that God, each individual would also begin to call out to you for whatever you are laying on their heart this morning so that they can once again know you in an even deeper way than they have before. So Father, we love you and we thank you. God, there's so much that we are to be thankful for. There's so much that you have done. And God, we want to be like Paul. It's so easy to say, well, I come from this, or I've experienced this, or I've done this. And those things may not be bad. They may be, they may be great things. But God, we count those as loss to gain you in a deeper way. God, whatever you are speaking to our hearts whatever individuals are praying to you about, God, I pray that you would meet those places and those needs. Father, I pray that you would show them and walk with them and help them to experience you in a personal and a powerful and a practical and even a painful way so that we would be a people like Paul that says, I count it all loss to gain you, Jesus, to be with you and experience you in a deep, deep way. Help us, Lord. That's what we desire. That's what we want. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, God. Well, listen, I want to thank you guys so much for being here this morning. I know with the rain, it'd probably been real easy to be like, you know, we'll just kind of hang at the house. So thank you for being here. And and listen, if you don't have any lunch plans, we sure would love to have you join us at lunch at Jason's Deli. As soon as we kind of get things closed up here, we'll head that direction. So again, thanks. For those that are online, man, we love you. We miss you. We hope that you're doing well. Hope to see you soon. Hope you all have a great week. We'll see you soon.